We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. edition of the podcast. I'm Chase Parm and talking today with Walker Jones, the head of the Grove Collective. Ole Miss is uh, wrapping up one of the top portal classes in the country, probably the number one portal class in the country and still work to do. The portal opened back up in the spring, but as Walker and I talk about today, it never really ends for a lot of different reasons and there's a lot of uh, uncertainty about the future, but how soon that uh, future comes and some changes no one really seems to know. However, NCAA President Charlie Baker, he's got a uh, plan that he has pushed to the Division I Council. Among those topics is potentially bringing NIL, NIL houses, collectives inside the university or the foundations in some way. All talks about a potential revenue sharing system and maybe even a new bowl subdivision for the uh, the top of the college football landscape as well. So I want to talk to Walker about those items and much more. He recently spoke to Congress a couple months ago, has a good idea of where things are potentially going when it comes to collectives and maybe what needs to be changed and what's going well as Ole Miss has become one of the permanent collectives in the country. So all that conversation and more coming up on today's show with the Grove Collectives, Walker Jones. Walker Jones joining us now on the show. Walker, just another day, another week, more portal, more stuff. You, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this. How this job was nothing like what you thought when you uh, when you took over. But does it almost change by the month? I mean, it feels like it, it's ever evolving. Where if you feel like you have it figured out one day, you probably don't the next week. Yeah, Chase. Good to hear from you again, man. Um, yeah, look, it's. Um, I think we 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 were learning. Again, the one thing that we're that we're constantly learning is that it's constantly learning. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that, you know, we we went through this last year and we kind of thought, okay, this is how that December through January timeframe is going to go. And, you know, and then things change, you know, then there's this portal, this temporary restraining order that turned into an injunction that, you know, adds, adds you know, confusion to the multi, multi-time transfer provision and so that added another you know kind of uh, level of indecision and confusion um so you know we're, we're making we're making the best of it just like everybody i think you know the hard part chase really is there's such a long time between that last game mm-hmm. and then when school starts again for the spring and at old miss 
it's kind of a blessing and a curse. Uh, we don't start classes till the 22nd. Right. And a lot of the rules that we have to follow are tied to full-time enrollment and academic requirements. And so when you have that much time between your last regular season game with the portal opens and then all these provisions about, well, if you play in a bowl game, you get a five-day five extension on the portal. If your coach leaves, you get a 30-day portal open window. So, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, the portal closed on the second. I'm like, no, it closed on the second for a certain segment. Yeah. And then all the people that played in bowl games like us late in the year or at the first of the new year, there was another five-day window. And then all the coaching carousel starts, which adds more portal windows opening. So I think what we've learned, Chase, is that the portal is never really closed. And we're constantly having to battle. Um, and the fact that we don't start school the 22nd, again, is a good thing and a bad thing in the sense that we just have to go a lot longer until we can get athletes back in school or or yeah. in school for the first time yeah obviously it's been a negative with, with with a couple guys but then i would assume it's also a as you mentioned a blessing and a curse it's a positive in some ways because any of these players with head coaching changes or things like that that have access to the portal to a longer date you've got a longer window than the school that started class on right. the 10th and it's pretty tightened up right there that's exactly right i mean school other schools that started class uh 10 days ago you know, they're already getting up on their drop ad date. and They can't get kids in school anymore. And mm. we hadn't even started class yet, so we can. So, again, like I said, it's a blessing and a curse. It helps you in some cases and it hurts you in others. And I think that's where, you know, we really need to be smart as getting the adults in the room about, you know, uh, trying to get a little a middle ground right now. Right now there's, uh, there's just so much – uh, variability out there and, 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 you know, when and what you can do. Uh, it's confusing for the student athletes, confusing for the coaches and it's confusing for the collectives and the universities. So, um, I, I will, I would imagine, hopefully, I hope, uh, this time next year that we've seen some smart legislation that, that will tighten this thing up a little bit. Um, but yeah, look, we're making, I'm not going to sit here and complain, you know, because I think if you complain about it, you're trying to find excuses to fail. And I think we just like anything, we've just tried to bow our neck and 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 constantly try to figure things out and and take advantage of, you know, all the things that I was just talking about. While they may look like negatives on the surface, let's use them to our advantage. And I think that's what we've done a pretty good job of. I kind of forgot to ask you about this. I'm glad you mentioned it. How are you guys approaching the, the injunction and the multi transfer I, I know for the most part it's year to year and that kind of thing but i mean is your expectation is that this becomes a a, a full-time rule that's going to allow anyone open access every season to jump in the portal i hope not i really hope yeah. not but you know i do think that they're they're they, they are going to meet there'll they'll be a ruling on this um you know by the by the summer of this this 24 academic year and um you know i do think that that there's going to be um, a, a kind of a level set on, on again, everybody wants the athletes to be protected and have the ability to um, get themselves out of bad situations. But I think it's the pendulum sung so far now, it's actually probably confusing kids more than it's helping them. Um, and so I do think that'll change. You know, um, the, the good news for us, Chase, is I don't – like, we have not had any of our returning players bring it up. Like, I just was worried. I remember talking to 
some of our coaches like, man, I'm worried that all these these kids that transferred in here are going to call us and say, oh, I think I may, you know, now go look somewhere else. I think it, we really haven't had that. And I think it speaks to number one, we had a great year. Number two, Coach Kiffin and his staff have done a great job of building culture. And number three, everybody's kind of bought into what they think 2024 can be. So we really haven't, it really has not played a factor in our uh, retention of our players, which I think just speaks to, to, again, the culture that we have here and the success that we've had. So that's a good thing. Um, you know, I do think that it is uh, at play in the portal and it's making things a little complicated uh, for other kids out there that are looking at us. Um, but, but again, we have an experience with our roster. From a budget standpoint, planning standpoint, obviously guys that have multiple years are, are more important because you're not worried about replacing year over year over year, but and with all these changes and possibilities and what, what you believe Ole Miss to be in 2024 from a season standpoint, the program itself, building at the last dance and all this stuff, are, are you pretty just focused on 24? Is there always an eye on 25 to, to an extent, or is this really just year to year? Um, I think yes and no. Look, okay. I think that um, because of the model, you can look year to year a little bit more than you could have in the past. So – Again, there's a chance to to know. I think the difference for us, everybody's like, oh, the Ole Miss is all in and it's ride or die yeah. in 24. And if they don't, you know, make the play, it's win or bust. I don't really think that. I think what we realized was we had a chance to retain a really good roster that won a lot of games due to the makeup of the team. And if we could get really prescriptive and deliberate in the portal and fix a few holes that we saw manifest itself like in that night in Athens against Georgia, then we would have a chance to make a real run. And so it wasn't like for anyone's like, oh, God, we have, you know, obviously the 12-team playoff was one of the, the considerations, but I think it was the combination of having a roster that we felt like we could retain that was talented, and then we wouldn't have to go make the wholesale portal additions. We, should, we could just be really targeted – um, and so I think that was it. But I do think, you know, one of the things that we talk about is, is again, the, the young talent and trying to go and get um, the young kids in there, the Aiden Williams, the Suntarian Perkins that can play for you for multiple years. Um, and, and, you know, you always have to be mindful of that. And I think, again, it's going to be a challenge. Are we perfect at it? No. Is it going to be a challenge? Yes, because of again, the model helps you in some respects to target years and rebuild real quick, but it also hurts you in keeping young talent, as we've seen at Alabama, as we've seen at Clemson, some of those that stockpile these five-star recruits for years and years. Um, those kids aren't going to let you stockpile. They're going to go somewhere else eventually. And so I think we're all seeing it. So, again, it's like we were saying earlier, um, the portal giveth, the portal taketh away. Um, and the model is advantageous in some cases to get really good really fast, but it also makes it a challenge to build continuity as well. I'll ask a little more specifically in a second. We'll start here. I know you obviously spoke to to Congress and we're in D.C. and have a, a better understanding than most in the collective space as far as what's kind of going on from that standpoint. Charlie Baker bringing up a bunch of different things that he would like implemented at the part or what you're willing to say, what do you feel like is his main goal? What's he trying to do with collectives and NIL right now? Oh, I think he would he would assume the collectives, he would, you know, if he could wave a magic wand, he wish there weren't collectives. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and uh coming from his 
viewpoint, I I get it. I understand because it's it's so uh, different than what they imagined the collegiate landscape to be. Because remember, you know, and, and Charlie Baker had nothing to do with this previously, but the NCAA fought for years to keep from NIL becoming a reality. Sure. And so, you know, uh, because it threatened their traditional model um, and their revenue model, you know, quite frankly. And so I think with Charlie Baker, I, I will give him credit in the sense that he is trying to find a solution that doesn't, you know, that, that, um, will allow for NIL, but will allow some semblance of order and oversight and enforcement. And again, I, I, I don't altogether disagree with a lot of what he says. I think that he has an outdated opinion like many's on what collectives do. And that was one of my things in Congress that day. And at the hearing that I was trying to, to let everybody understand is that regardless of what how collectives were created two or three years ago, they have evolved to become functioning, trusted, and efficient entities that are trying to add some level of transparency and order to the marketplace. Um, and collectives were born out of the inaction of the NCAA, quite frankly. And so, sure. um, so again, I, I think it's it's a it's a tough situation to be in that he's in that he is years and decades of this traditional mindset and now trying to accept the change that is now college athletics and i think the other piece is and he has said this and i agree with him it is really hard to govern every level of competition not doable in one way and i think that just there's not a one size fits all level of enforcement or oversight and so um so again, I think you know he and I have and it's been well documented disagreed on some things, but at the same time, I do sympathize with the situation in, and I give him I give him credit for you know taking on that mantle and um, <coughs> excuse me, which was you know very challenging uh, for him to try to figure out what that middle ground could look like, and you know as I told him that day in D.C., we're for oversight, we want some rules. We want some governance, but we want to make sure that those things don't inhibit the earning potential of the student athlete and the viability of NIL. But his, you know, his plan to get an extra subdivision includes this thirty thousand dollars per athlete to at least half the athletes. That's revenue sharing, and that's not functional in most universities. So it's a it's, no, it's a plan and, and thought process, and it makes sense. Yeah, hey, do something. But when you really look at the brass tacks of it, it just simply doesn't work. No, it doesn't. And that's where it's like you're now, you know, if you if you take if you do a math equation here and you say that each, you know, power five or now power four school has roughly 400 plus student athletes. Sure. If you require that half of those athletes have to get a minimum of thirty thousand dollars, that's six million dollars. You've added six million dollars to uh, as a liability line item for a university that wasn't spending $6 million on those athletes, you know? And so um, I think that that's like, if you talk to the athletic directors, I think that's their biggest concern is that that's a $6 million liability now that didn't exist. And quite frankly, doesn't really solve the bigger problem. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we all kind of struggle with that is that that's an arbitrary amount, number one. And number two, a lot of those athletes, that's not their true market value. 
Um, and so I think that that's, uh, that's problematic. Um, again, um, I, I have said, and we have said as, as a collective trade association that we are for some sort of rev share and some ability to collectively bargain. Um, but if it comes at the expense of becoming employees or at some sort of federally mandated rev share, I think you couldn't do more harm than good. Um, and this is where I go back to, I would love to see the conferences take control of this and say, we're going to dictate what that rev share looks like. And if you want to be a member of this conference, this oh, is, this is what you have to follow. And this is the money that we're going to make available to you through our grant of rights, TV contracts and sponsorships and corporate agreements. Cause that's really true in IL, the TV contracts and those corporate sponsorships, you know, that's really where NIL was designed to take place. And so I think that could be a good workaround, but again, I, I, I didn't, you know, I, I appreciated Charlie Baker trying to be bold and 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 aggressive and to come up with with some solution other than just talking um but i do think some of what he said is problematic and the six million is the bare minimum because also how are you choosing between this half or this half or only doing half it's such a dumb thing from that standpoint i mean you call it arbitrary that's the word for it and then you know that it's going to have a title nine compliant portion to it it's gonna it's gonna split it out now i did see i think ross dellinger reported that baker had he quoted baker saying that Title IX association related to NIL would be about participation, not amounts. So that would be a win on trying to save things. It wouldn't be an equal amount in any way because that that's that becomes a salary cap that kills the whole process. But participation Absolutely. would be a different thing. Where do you fall or do you think it is feasible as part of his plan has at some point collectives all going in-house inside the athletic departments? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, we, yeah, that comes up a lot. And again, I, I'm not against that. Um, you know, I, I I do think that that you've seen this evolution 
of, you know, one of the things we did right at Ole Miss with the Grove Collective and with the athletic department, the university as a whole is, you know, we locked arms early on back in the spring of 2022 when it was a little bit taboo and frowned upon. And we did that because we had air cover from our state statute and we had an athletic director and a chancellor who, you know, bought into this thing and said, look, we've got to do this. And, and so, and, and now you've seen everybody kind of follow suit of alignment and coordination, communication between the collective and the university and universities designating collectives as, Hey, this is the collective that we're putting our stamp of approval on. So you've seen that evolution. And I think, there's probably continued evolution between does it does it become an entity of the fundraising arm, you know, the athletic foundation? Um, is it a separate entity, but are funds allowed to be commingled now? You know, uh, that's the biggest challenge that we have from a fundraising standpoint and from a sustainability standpoint is that, you know, money technically has to be separate. You know, it has to be sure. a separate transaction, even though we can coordinate all we want. Uh, the money's got to flow separately. And I think um, if if we can all get to the point, and you said it a minute ago, Chase, that Title IX is about participation and not amounts, because that's truly the biggest barrier to collectives coming in-house right now is everybody's afraid of Title IX and, and it becoming part of Title IX. But but those, like, those discrepancies already exist. The head mm-hmm. football coach is always going to make more – than the women's basketball coach and the baseball coach is going to make more than the softball coach and the recruiting budget for basketball is going to be more than the recruiting budget for track and field. And the facilities are going to be nicer and all this. So there's already those discrepancies, but as long as you allow for participation um, and opportunity, um, then I think you can, you can get past that title nine barrier where collectives become part of the university infrastructure uh, there's more compliance because again, I've, I've said it from day one. Really closely aligned collectives and universities are actually much more compliant, and there's you know you know that's the NCA should like that and they should mm-hmm. appreciate that because now there is that big brother oversight and watching out to make sure the collective is operating in a above board manner. Um, and so I do think that that could you know add to more compliance and more oversight. And I wouldn't be against it. I just think it it has to come in a way that um, doesn't create, you know, indirectly create additional issues, like you said. Um, so uh, hopefully we can get there. I do think it would make all our jobs a lot easier. And at the end of the day, my big kick is about sustainability. Mm-hmm. And we have to sustain the model for the good of the student-athlete. And if we continue to go in this model, you're going to slowly see people start to fall off to the wayside. And now, you know, two of the reasons, and it's my opinion from the outside looking in, that you guys are as successful as you are, is that compared to some schools, especially early on, if a player's do a certain amount, he's going to get his money. There's no doubt. That starts feeding through the system. They know that they can trust the Grove Collective outside of, you know, potentially some other schools here or there. And then, two, the the ability that you guys do have to – legally co-mingle with university sides of things to make everything work as well. I mean, there's, you know, there's not the antagonistic relationship that's probably still standing at a lot of schools. And when you start discussing in-house and things, it changes a lot of those dynamics on where funds go. One of the, one of the other things is just strictly a database or are, are, are you for an NIL type database sport track type thing, or is that even possible? Do you think to be fun to be 
implemented correctly and efficiently, I guess would be the way to put it. Yeah, that that came up a lot up in D.C. And again, we would be for it as long as it's in the right context. And, you know, how anonymous is the database? You know, um, I think that's really going to be the devils in the details of mm-hmm. can somebody look at it, even though it doesn't have a name on it, but they see a quarterback at this school, you know, like yeah, yeah, people sure. back into the numbers real fast <laughs> about who is who. So I guess, you know, that was our thing is we don't really, we meaning collectives don't mind a database. It just needs to be anonymized enough to where the athletes are protected. And, um, you know, if there's some general averages and standards around, you know, uh, position groups, conferences, year, you know, of, you know, eligibility remaining, those type things. And, you know, I think we would, we, we would support that, um, you know, and, and, you know, one thing that, that comes up a lot too is, and one of the things that I'm really proud of at our, at our situation is we don't do any deal without having sign off from our compliance department. So we submit all our agreements to the almost compliance department for a checkoff and a review uh, before we ever contract with the student athlete. And so, that level of transparency, I think it should be a standard across every school. And I think that should be a national standard of transparency uh, to keep some of the predatory practices out of there. Um, but again, I think, I think if it's an anonymous database, yes, where, you know, you give some general averages out there, but I also do think that there needs to be some agent registry as well. When you talk about databases, who can who is legally able to work on an NIL agreement on behalf of an 18, 19, 20 year old student athlete? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think that's an area that we would like to see more transparency because I can't tell you how many calls we get from people saying, well, I'm this person's NIL representative or this somebody's NIL agent. And you don't know if they're right. You don't know if they're, you know, there's just no checks and balances there in the NFL or in Major League Baseball or in NBA, you have to pass a background check. You have to pay a fee. You have to take a test. Um, you have to be certified to negotiate on behalf of an athlete. They're maybe not that to that extreme, but I think talking about the student athlete database, there needs to be a database on representatives and agents as well. It's a great time to get started on your resolutions with Factor. So you're ready for the new year, they're ready to eat meal delivery, takes the stress out of meal planning, sets you up for success in this new year. Skip the grocery stores, the prep work, the cooking fatigue, make it easy. Get chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals delivered right to your door. 35 meals to choose from for, per week, keto, calorie smart, vegan plus, veggie, whatever you're looking for. 55 weekly add-ons, ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. They now offer loads of snack options like breakfast smoothies, juices, snacks, and more to keep going no matter what's on the schedule. You can skip the overpriced takeout trap. It's cheaper than takeout. Again, those chef-crafted restaurant-quality meals delivered right to your door with Factor. They've got the uh, special special occasions. They'll take care of you with Gourmet Plus. It's the solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options. Also, no matter what it is, they've got the answer. They have everything. A week of flavorful, nutritious eats, Ready to eat meals, cold pressed juices, smoothie, energy bites, energy protein, veggie sides, and more. 
to keep you energized during these frantic times, head to factormeals.com slash mpw50. Use the code mpw50. Get 50% off. That's mpw50 at factormeals.com. Yeah, well, and to, to, pick, to protect the player to know who to go to, to go, hey, this is a guy that can represent my interest because, you know, I mean, you're dealing with professional negotiators on the other side in a lot of ways. So, I mean, it's a protection all the way around when you when, when you come to that. Absolutely. Um, last couple things here. Appreciate the time. I know you're busy. You got a lot going on still in this portal session. For any of this to go on, I was, I was reading it from Dellinger, and he said that Baker wanted – essentially Congress needed to put a special status on these players to make sure they're students, not employees or anything like that. When you were around Congress, did you get the idea that anything was imminent on them making a determination on literally anything to do with this, or are we still a little ways down the road? I think we're still probably 18 to 24 months out. I think that, you know, when I was up there in October, we kind of came back and all put our heads together. We felt like we're still in this for another two years, given kind of the general overall model. There's going to be some tweaks and probably some evolution there, but – I think we're probably two years before we see real substantive changes. Um, but I do think, you know, and, and Jack Swarbrick, the AD at Notre Dame, who was on the p- uh, panel with us, um, and he talked about it uh, when we were talking before the hearing and after, where Congress could probably really be helpful is there's always this argument between employment and non-employment <laughs> and treating them as employees. And – um, you know, he brought up the ability for Congress to create a special status that allowed for collective bargaining and allowed for some of those things that would allow, for, you know, that would that would give us the opportunity for a rev share, for a sustainable model, but yet not be a, a full employment model that, that mm-hmm. brought in unions and all these other fair labor and standards issues and those type things, which scare everybody away. So if there was a special status that was created there uh, that was middle ground between the two extremes, yeah. um, then I think that could be something where Congress could be really, really impactful. But I say all that to say that I still think we're a ways away. And I still think, again, when you talk about all these issues about the transfer portal and oversight and enforcement and employment status, non-employment, Title IX, all those things – I really would love to see the power for now commissioners take hold of this conversation and and come up with their standards for membership into their conference. They control the revenue. They control the championship structure. They have all the power right now. And I think those, those entities could solve. Now, are they going to solve for Title IX and these federal antitrust and those type of things? No. But can they create a model that's more sustainable and has some level of enforcement and some sort of national standard by being a part of the member and getting the revenue that is coming, the, the hundreds and, and billions of dollars, hundreds, millions and billions of dollars that are coming in through these TV contracts and through these sponsorships and use that as the care to create some level of national standard, uh, I think would be helpful. What went through your head when you read and saw Florida State's collective being involved in the NCAA thing last week? Yeah, you know, that was really – that that was shocking, uh, to be honest with you, that, um, you know, nobody really saw that coming. Um, I think that um, 
I was surprised to see it in some respects. I was kind of glad to see it because I think it wakes a lot of people up because again, I can tell you that, you know, all the calls that we get, you know, from certain people on the other side of the equation, you know, agents and players and such, you know, that, that nobody's paying attention and, you know, everybody's doing these things. And I think it showed that people are paying attention and then there, there is consequences um, if you run afoul of uh, the general guidance. Now, it's very general. I think I sure. feel bad for Florida State in a sense because I, it is a really, really tricky situation to be in right now because there's, again, there's so much confusion, indecision, variability, what state you live in, what's your statute say, what has the NCA said, what are your coaches telling you, uh, what are these agents telling you? It is not a fun place to be right now. Mm-hmm. So I did sit, I did feel for Florida State and that collective because I can see how easily they could have gotten in that situation. Um, we work really hard to avoid those things, but the market is not set up to follow the general and scattered guidance that we have right now. It's got here's the model for NIL and collectives and the transfer portal. And here's the guidance and the general rule and enforcement of the NCAA, and they do not sync up. Mm-hmm. And so they don't help each other, and they sometimes work counter to each other. And um, so I was I was really concerned to see it um, and, and really – uh, it was a wake-up call for a lot of people, and, and and again, it was a it was an example of just how hard it is right now to be a collective in this model. Last thing, I was talking to Bill Jordan a couple of days ago before we started a podcast, and he was talking about you guys meeting in Atlanta and all the fans and the Grow Collective uh, conversations that were going on there, and and kind of are ongoing all the time. What was Atlanta like? I mean, you get the win, you get the team that just finished, and and whatnot, but. Fan base, the buy-in, and everybody kind of moving in one direction. Because I mean, I've I've I hadn't been around as long as you have, but I've been around for a long time, about two decades now. And there hasn't been a moment where it seems like everything is potentially converging in one direction as we move forward. Yeah, it was it was a great couple of days. It really was, and you know, I think that you know it was kind of this moment in time where you know you're playing in a New Year's Six game against a traditional power in Penn State, you've got a chance to win. We've been playing football a long time at Ole Miss. And to be able to truly, you know, win 11 games for the first time ever um, with all the teams and athletes and coaches we've had over the years, you know, it was a really cool moment uh, to be able to, you know, uh, experience that. Um, Old Rebel Nation showed up. There was a ton of fans there. We had an event. You know, what was really neat was – we had an event a year ago at the Texas Bowl, and the stark contrast. How what a year a different what a difference <laughs> yeah, a year yeah, makes, yeah. you know, yeah. between sitting in the Alamo Bowl in Texas in uh, or not where it was the uh, the Texas Bowl in Houston, yeah. um, at Reliant Stadium. You know, we had a couple hundred people in there, and everybody was really that fired up about playing in that bowl game, you know. And then fast forward a year later, we had over a thousand people at our Grove Collective event, capacity crowd. We had our athletes there. We had the chancellor there. We had our athletic director there. Um, 
And again, being able to go into a game with a chance to win 11 games for the first time ever against a team like Penn State, I just think it was really cool to see that moment in time of what a difference a year can make if you do things right and you hustle. And I remember just sitting in there looking at the crowd going, wow, like this is a tribute. And it wasn't like, wow, look what we have done as a collective. It was like, look what we have done as a group and as a fan base and as a university and I was talking to Keith and the chancellor before the meeting, we were kind of getting our ducks in a row about what we were going to say to the crowd. And, you know, we just, we were all sitting there looking at each other like, man, look at where we are now and look at what we've created. And, and I think that's what was so special about that moment is that we've come so far, our fans have bought in, our fans got to enjoy the moment. And for me, it was the call, you know, I don't want to say culmination because we still have a lot to do, but it was validation that we've put the work in, our people have responded, and we've gotten everybody on the same page, and now we have proof of concept mm-hmm. to show that it worked. And I think that now, I remember driving back after the game going, now we can tell people that this it works, that if we do this right, this can happen. And I think having that proof of concept was probably the biggest thing for us. Yeah. Number one portal class in the nation right now. Good high school class and then uh, more to come. So I know, I know you got a lot going on. Appreciate it. Uh, as I'm sure something new will happen. So we'll talk again when it does. Walker. Yeah. Sorry. I'm fighting over a little bit of a cold there. So I appreciate you battling with me, but great talking to you, Chase. And uh, we'll keep pushing, man. And we'll talk soon.